it is amazing how much calmer they are. Whereas we put them in the common room and right away, literally backs her up. Right. Well, yeah. So it's they're amazing. Smelling all the predators that were in that room before them. Right. I think I'd be yeah. nervous too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's wonderful. So I think there's lots of things that people can get from going on that site um, and reading, just skimming through some of the information that, that you can do simple changes to make a big difference for our little kitty patients. Yeah, you're right. Sorry for saying Sorry Media presents the Purr Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hi, this is Dr. Susan Little. And this is Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. This is the Purr Podcast. Wow, perfect. Wow. Can't do that better. <laughs> well, I'm sure I could, <laughs> or at least I could be more consistent. <laughs> yeah, so, but uh, very excited part two of our discussion uh, with Dr. Susan. Yeah. Oh, oh so with uh, Robin, sorry, am I saying your last name correctly, Robin? Sorry, yeah. Oh, good. Phew. You never know. Yeah. So, <laughs> and now I ask after I've already said it several times. So with Robin Sarr, who is um, a, a, a registered vet tech at, with a specialty in nutrition and a fellow Canadian. Are, are, and Albertan, are you born and bred Alberta or? Actually, I'm born Ontario. Oh, okay. Ontario. And then we moved out West when I was young, though, about three years old. So been here the rest of the time. Okay. I just have one question. How uh -oh. cold is it now? Actually, no, it's above zero right now. What is it? Yes, we have had the nicest winter um, that I can ever remember. We have not hit minus 30 Celsius yet, knock on wood. Yeah. Um, usually January, we're at snow yeah. blowing minus 30 cold. Um, though I do live in a pocket of Southern Alberta where we get these really warm, warm in quotes in the winter, fast winds called Chinooks. And so we'll get to minus 30 for four days and then the wind blows in, it goes up to 15 above. And then it goes back down again, but we've just been above, you know, around going above zero almost every day all winter. So I am not complaining. Warming, I'm telling you. Yeah, it's a little bit unusual for January because through a lot of Canada, January is a like a thaw freeze, a thaw freeze kind of month. So yeah, we've yeah. Just definitely they're here. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Well, that's okay. It's okay. You know, it's uh, there's not a uh, an overwhelming amount of snow on the ground, so I get out with the dogs. I pull. I I uh, I finally got a balaclava, you know, to protect. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So I pull on my balaclava and I go go out with the dogs. So nice. Yeah. Good. Got to get some extra. You know, yes. I will never. You know, I'm a I'm a warm. warm yes. Person. I, yes. I, I think I, I in my previous life I was a reptilian because I need to have the heat. Uh, but so we're not going to see you pull on your. You know, no balaclava for, for Yola? No, no. No, no. Well, I think they need to convince Canada to buy some island in the Caribbean. <laughs> it kind of uh, seems unfair, right? Like, we're Canadian, that's great, but I would like a warm place to go. Like, we don't have a Hawaii, you know, or a Puerto Rico. Where's our Puerto Rico? Yeah, Come I think it's really unfair. To Florida, though. I mean, there are a lot of Canadian... True. Uh, I know, but it's just, it's kind of not the same because then you only can stay so long. Yes. Like I need a Canada, I need a warm Canadian island that I can just yeah. move to. Yeah. For the day that's we were actually allowed to travel again, whenever that that's, is. That's the whole, yeah. Whereas if it was Canada, we probably could go there, right? Could yes. be. 
right? So then we could still go to our little island and be warm and yeah, stay away from COVID. It would be great. Justin to be a little bit more aggressive on that field. <laughs> Maybe. We need to buy an island. We don't need to fight it out. We just need to buy one. Yeah. That's right. That's exactly. being a Canadian way, right? Yeah. We wouldn't fight over it. We just like sweet talk and show money. That's how someone who just doesn't want their island anymore. We'll just buy it. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So what are the top tips for cat technicians? So what are the things that they need to know? Top like handling cats? Top of their game. I'm going to go everywhere. So top tip number one, quit scruffing. Yeah. I know it's a big topic. And I'll say, man, I was a total scruffer. And I'd be like, nope, they're fine. But when someone says, hey, it makes it worse. When you start paying attention, it makes it worse. <laughs> you may feel safer, but it actually makes it worse. Um, yeah, get a, get a line of towels. Yeah, yeah a lot of towels, <laughs> big blankets. Um, and the less people that can get in there, the better, like just go in quietly, put your big blanket, do your poke, be done. Um, yep. tip number two, uh, watch your energy, be aware of what you're going into that situation and what your emotions are. Um, and, and watch how you're approaching that animal because they're feeling that, um, more than we do more than anyone. So if you're going to go in and you're feeling crabby because someone said something snotty to you or the last client was just rude, that, that cat knows and that cat's going to say, you are dangerous, get away from me. Um, so, you know, check your own emotions and your own energy that you're putting out into the world. I like that. Uh, num number three would be, don't be rigid. Hmm. A lot of texts, we are a personality and we have our road and we want to drive in our lines and on our road. But what you'll learn is that it's kind of okay to cross the line sometimes yeah. and you're not going to get in trouble as long as you're doing it safely. Yeah. It's okay to be all over the road as long as you're still in control. So you don't have to do everything exactly the same way. If you need to change up what you're doing dish wise, feeding wise, um, handling wise, it's okay to change. Let's try something else that'll work. Um, number I, four, I before you go on, my favorite one that fits in that category is that not all cats have to be examined on a table, right? It's okay yeah. to sit on the floor. It's okay to have them on your lap on a chair, right? Yeah. yeah. You, you yeah, gotta, just, you gotta let the cat guide you instead of saying everybody goes on the table. Yeah. Just feel what's happening. <laughs> like read the room, right? Read the room. Feel, what's like happening. feel what's happening with that cat and are like, what's making them comfortable and uncomfortable. And don't put them in a situation that's going to make them more uncomfortable. Like, let's just try to keep everything happy. Um, oh yeah, number four probably would be um, to keep advanced on what's happening. So as a person who took a break from the tech world, um, had kids and, you know, did some CE, but I missed out a lot on drugs that came out into the world. Um, we were doing fear-free before there was fear-free certification, but to all of a sudden come back and go, well, you know, like now there's the certification. So I can't imagine if you took a break now, when we go from scruffing, let's say to not scruffing, um, you know, keep up on different techniques, keep up on different drug protocols, do CE that's different than what you may or may not be interested in, but may help you learn what's important. Um, so keep education going just because you've done your two years doesn't mean, you know, everything it science is ongoing learning, ongoing changing. Um, and number five would be don't take everything so seriously and enjoy every patient and yeah. enjoy every client because they all have something to teach you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good attitude. Um, I've been known to say to my team, don't sweat the small stuff. And most of this is small stuff. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and, and with that comes empathy, right? We always have empathy for the cats that come in, right? You get that obese cat and you're like, they're so mean. Look at how big this cat is. How could they let their cat do this? But maybe we should have empathy for the owner who feels that they're actually loving their cat because they have to give them those 20 treats a day when they ask. Totally. You know, so, so understanding that empathy of where that maybe they lost their husband and now that's why the cats, they've had to feed the cat more or, you know, their kids have gone to college and this is now who they're going to feed because their son isn't there anymore. And so you really have to try to be empathetic for also the owners. Hmm. Um, and then of course, empathetic for yourself to be like, yeah, I don't think they meant that really personally. I'm just going to let that go. And that's okay. Yeah. You never know what everybody's backstory is. Right. So yeah. Yeah. So one of my favorite things to do when I do lectures on feline obesity is I'll often start with a picture of quite an obese cat and explain how because of his obesity, he's got diabetes and he's struggling with pancreatitis. Right. And the audience goes like, oh, like those people. And I'm like, it's my cat. That's my cat. Right. So it's it's very important not to judge, I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. And it's so easy to do. Right. Um, cause again, we just want to see things that are right. And I think sometimes when you see a lot of wrong in a day, when you see a lot of sadness or things that could be easily corrected and it, it builds up. Yes. So it really is a matter of just saying, okay, that one's done disassociating and moving on to the next one. And it does take time. You know, we, again, I see in my practice, the young techs and young vets that come and they want to save everything. Yeah. Um, you know, we had, um, have an animal comes in and it's bit somebody and they're like, I need to save this. And it's like, you know, you're going to break your heart if you invest in every single animal that comes in the clinic. So, so it is learning that dissociative to be empathetic and caring, but dissociate your emotions in a way, be able to say, okay, that case is done. I'm going to move on now. Caring Um, enough, but not too much. Yes. It's a fine line, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's something I think that takes a lot of work to do. Um, but luckily I think cats are really good like that because they only want to pay attention to you for so long anyway. Right. They only really want to pay attention for a certain amount of time, then they're done with you and they're going to move on to the next thing. So you're really lucky if you work with cats, cause I think you can get better at it. (laughs) Their example. Exactly. They know they're like, I was in the moment here that didn't work for me. I'm going to move on and look for the next mouse or next kill. And then I'm going to move on and look for the next one. Like they're just going to keep going. They're not looking behind and saying, well, I didn't catch that mouse. Now that's it. It's over. No way, man. They're moving on. They're going for the next kill. So that's, we all need to be more like cats that way and just deal with the situation and then move on. I love it. That's great. And, and, you know, this is my favorite soapbox because if uh, Dr. Susan shows patients of her, they're always fat. Uh, we we, we always we always bicker on stage about that because you know dr seuss says okay look at this cat and what do you see is wrong and you're always like everybody's saying oh i see a kidney stone and maybe a toe that's curled a little bit the wrong way and i'm like no they're fat you know and uh, but but i i I think veterinarians and technicians probably all deal with the same stress about how to talk to an owner about obesity in general yeah. and about uh, you know improper nutrition, uh, especially when the owner itself has some you know uh, obesity or weight problems itself. It's it's, yeah. very, it's a very difficult uh, topic because owners always feel um, you know maybe a little defensive when you talk mm-hmm. about it because they feel they're doing the best thing. Uh, they're yeah. taking the best care. And who are you to talk to me that my cat is overweight? So what are some tips there that you could give 
technicians and also feline veterinarians to be able to talk about this difficult topic. Yeah, even to get it started, right? Like it's just hard sometimes to get it started. Yeah, and so Susan and I were very lucky to do a panel talk about this um, just last week. And so the biggest thing, of course, um, Susan always points out is that we need to make sure, of course, that the owner wants to have the information first. So asking, you know, the tech can even just ask, hey, I don't know if Dr. Little talked to you about this, but are you open to talking about uh, the fact that we have um, an obesity problem here with Fluffy or obesity diagnosis with Fluffy would be more what I'd say. Better, Um, yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, if the owner is open and even if they're obese, I just try to keep it very medical and say, you know, like I really wish that the Purina or one of the Pet Hills, one of those companies would make a food for me. I would love to have kibble, they say, Robin, you eat one cup of this kibble stew flavor. That's your supper. Then you're going to have a quarter cup of tiramisu flavor. And this is what you eat today. And then, then I'd be able to lose weight, right? They could say, here's all your nutrients. You don't need to take vitamins. And I could know exactly how much I have to eat. And then I would know I would lose weight. I would <laughs> love that is what I tell them. Why don't they do that for people? You know, so that's kind of what I'll use if the person's overweight. I'll be like, I keep putting on weight. I keep eating less. And if they just would make me a kibble, like, come on, that would be so much easier for me. And they're like, yeah. So then I kind of bonded with them. Right. And then I can say, but we're lucky because they have kibbles for these pets and they've done all this research for my cat. Well, that's great. So thank you. But I said, at least now I can make my cat get thin. So I said, so let me just calculate out for you and we'll see if this works. Right. And um, and then, you know, we can go into, you know, do you give treats for love or all these different things of giving, but I can say, man, you're so lucky. Like, mm. we're so lucky that they figured it out for cats. I hope they do this for people next, right? Because I'd be on that. You're going to be with me. Yeah, we can go on the kibble diet and kind of, you know, give it a funny name and, and just try to bond with that client. Um, and if you can joke around and bond with them, they're just going to like you, right? How are they going to not like you when you're joking about being on a kibble diet with them and you're pounding? Yeah, kibble diet. Um, you know, that we'll go on the new fad. We'll make the fad diet. You and me will make a web page, and you know, you kind of just joke around and and get going with them. So that finds I find it loosens them up. They're more likely to want to hear and then even discuss further. If they can't afford your vet line food, well, where do you want to shop? What's going to work for you? Okay, well, let me we'll get this sorted out for you. You know, and then you're kind of buddies, and buddies always want to come back and see you, and buddies always want to talk to you and can ask you for advice. So I really feel like you don't need to make it an awkward conversation. You just need to make it a fun conversation. Uh, And that's really what I've been using a lot lately is my kibble joke. I like that because it, it, it gets you into the conversation uh, clearly with like no judgment, you know, you're putting yourself in their shoes and inviting them to be in your shoes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a much more sort of positive way to open the conversation. Yeah. And, and again, voice, it, yeah, sorry. Uh, voice the, you know, disease entry discussion, you know, um, a lot of people start with, oh, gosh, this, this cat is going to die because of all these things. And it's all caused by obesity. And people are like, mm. no, you lose them because they're so worried about the diseases that it's going to cause that they don't think about the, 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 where the cost really is, which is just, you know, them letting the cat go and there's a couple of things that you know there's still people that think that you just put as much food down for the cat and the cat will graze during the day and will know when to stop so you have these really really fat cats and sometimes really next to a very skinny cat and people have no idea why that is happening yeah and it's it's that works. oh sorry that works great when um when you have you know an outdoor cat that's running five miles a day um, but when you have an indoor cat that moves 12 steps a day, um, it gets a lot harder. 
And I think that we have to read the room on that because I will be honest, I don't consider myself a manipulative person, but when you have um, a client that maybe is anxious about diseases, like maybe they don't, like if you say, if you know if this client, if you say, well, you know, this is a disease and they go, whoa, then they're gonna take it seriously. Might use the disease thing a little more than if I have a client who maybe I notice will get their back up, yeah. right? If, 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 you know, so I really feel you have to read the room on what, how you give that information. There might be a client who doesn't appreciate that I joke about eating dog food, right? They might, or cat food. They might say, are you going to eat cat food for you crazy and not pick up on my humor? So, so you really do have to kind of read what is this client like? How can I change the conversation? to what they wanna hear or to how they can hear it best. Those right? are people skills. You're, you're describing people skills, right? It's like, know. yeah, yeah. They're, they're very transferable to many situations. It's like not, right? What you're describing is the, right? The ability to get, have empathy and, and also ask for empathy um, in, in that conversation. And those are just like good life skills, I think. <laughs> yeah, so text, we need a lot of that. No. <laughs> We all do. As we're in the middle, yes. Yeah, but it just it just strikes me that and and those techniques um, are a muscle that you can develop, right? That's mm. that, yeah, that's something you 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 can learn and develop. Yeah, and part of that with text again, listen to the people around you that are more experienced um, or that are having those conversations and see how they're having them and what they're doing. Yeah. Um, how do they change from client to client? Do they change from client to client? If they didn't change, what was the reaction between the different types of clients? Is that something you can learn from? Um, we're in a really good position that we are able to listen to how does the receptionist talk? How are the vets talking? And pick up on the situations a lot more because we are that middle person, right? Um, so there's a lot we could do if we, um, you know, get the permission and pay attention to, to what's happening. Yeah. And it's a good way to, to get, um, let's say in this case, techs who are not so used to talking with clients a lot, because a lot of techs aren't, you know, they're sort of like the in the back people, right. Yeah. Or they'll talk on the phone because, you know, post-op calls and, and things like that. They're not so much face-to-face. -face. Of course, nobody's face-to-face -face really anymore. anyway, but. Um, but it, it can be an awkward position uh, to be in if you're not used to it. And in other areas of training in the clinic, we use scripts. Like, so for, you know, reception teams, we'll give them scripts. How do you, uh, you know, how do you talk to a client in this particular situation? And that, that gives some confidence going in. And then very soon you're able to make those words your own, you know, at first or somebody else's words. But, you know, once you get comfortable with them, you'll turn them into your own words. So I think that's just really good advice for getting people started if, when they're trying to like spread their wings a bit, right? And get out of their comfort zone. Yeah, no, that's exactly. The scripts is that whole basic idea. And, and um, you know, we talked about in our last podcast, the, you know, vets wanting to get, you know, how do we get vets getting trust in text to do those conversations? They could be writing those scripts out for them. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I want you to learn this script. This is what I want you to say when it comes to diabetes. This is what I want you to say when you have a kidney cat come in. This is how I want you to talk about how we're going to do the food. They could have all those written out as SOPs and say, this is, these are the scripts. So I want you to learn these scripts and I'm going to pay attention when you're talking and see that you're using the scripts and then I can trust you to move ahead. Um, you know, that, that might make the vets feel better about letting techs do things by creating the scripts. And it keeps everybody on the same page, right? Because you never want one team member taking a different approach than another team member that confuses clients and they don't know who to trust. So everybody needs to be on the same page. Yeah, I, I really like that. Yeah, super important. Yeah, good. 
great. This, yeah, this, this has been good. And I, the next question that I have for you is, so what are the top five things that vets immediately need to drop and give them to their technicians to do? Oh man. Well, number one is nutrition. Um, vets should not be, I mean, definitely a vet could be until their tech maybe is trained enough, um, prescribing what diet maybe they feel is appropriate. Um, but the technician can be doing those calculations, getting the diet, um, going over the diet with the owner, checking up on the owner to make sure everything's good. Nutrition should be off the vet's plate. That is something a technician, uh, particularly a, a trained technician can do. No problem, done. Um, next one, I guess, I really think triaging as well. Mm. Um, I think there's lots of, of clinics that are still, it's going from reception to a vet. Mm. And there's no reason that a, a tech with even a year out has sh at one clinic should have enough experience of how that clinic runs, how that clinic likes to see emergencies or deals with certain appointments and can triage calls. Um, and that wastes how much time at clinics, like triaging, like I say I'm a practice manager, but oh my gosh, half my day is triaging. So, um, so definitely triaging is a huge one. Um, if they, if vets are at all in any clinic are still the ones taking blood, putting in catheters or monitoring anesthetic, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. What are you doing? Like have your techs do that. That is where they should be. I guess if you're a one vet, one tech clinic, someone's got to take the blood and maybe you do it back and forth. Um, but your tech should be doing all that with an assistant restraint. You should be off doing your vet stuff and making money. Um, next, do, do, do. there's so many things that we can do. Conversations in general. Um, yeah. I feel vets should be, um, techs can be getting those histories coming in. Vets are going in, making the diagnosis, setting up the treatment plans. Tech should be doing the rest. It really should be like doctors in hospitals. Like you never see your doctor right? You're in the hospital, your doctor comes in, how you doing today? That's great. Bye. You, then you got your nurse. Yeah. And that's what it should be because how much more money, how many more hours in a day vets do you have to make how much more money per hour doing those things when techs can be doing the rest, uh, depending on your province, techs might even be able to do your vaccines. Yeah. Um, you know, make a different health exam, yearly health exam from your vaccine appointments. Um, so that if there's a heart condition or obesity or something we need to deal with, that's a diagnosis give that to the vet, but why are you wasting 30 minutes to give vaccines? Hmm. Um, there's so many ways that, that we could utilize those techs and make that clinic money. Yeah. It's, like, it's even more than money though. I think by spreading the workload out to me, it accomplishes two things. One is that it bonds the client to the team in the clinic and not only to a vet, right? I still see a lot of that where clients bond to a vet. Um, and for many reasons that there's uh, downsides to that. You want to bond them to the entire team, right? Yeah, and for sure. So techs that, you know, giving techs a bigger role can help with that. And it also just, vets have so much to do. You know, there's so many legal requirements on us, you know, our medical records and uh, everything that we need to do. And it's magnified during the pandemic where there just seems to be more to do for every single appointment. So it's a quality of life issue too, right? If we can spread that load a bit. So yeah. And that's true. So if your vets can be doing notes while the tech is doing the discharge, right. you know, giving and maybe even having a moment to have some lunch, um, you know, that would be nice over, you know, them having to do all the discharge, the tech's just cleaning up, um, you know, and kind of waiting around. Yeah. And we want to be utilized. Yeah. Like techs want to be utilized. They want people in general want to feel important. Sure. Um, 
but yeah, I think it's to the team. Yeah, exactly. And it should be more of a team thing. It used to be right back in the day. It was the vet and then the vets workers. Um, but I think now it is more of a team thing. People like to go to clinics because they like the whole team. They like the receptionist to say hi to them or answer the phone so nicely. And they like the texts that bring out their stuff for them and, and grab their pet from them at curbside and give them all the hugs, you know? Um, and they like the conversation they have with the vet because the vet seems really intelligent, made that diagnosis, has a good plan for them. Um, so I, I think it is a, a huge team working thing. Um, so everyone needs to let the team contribute. Yeah, I agree. I have another question. So can, as a technician, can I also specialize in felines only? Is there a mm -hmm. certificate for felines? Um, so there is feline specific in a lot of the specialties. Um, so I believe um, clinical, uh, clinical care or clinical vet tech um, specialty does have like uh, feline only, like for, for techs that work in feline only practices, they can specialize in clinical practitioner feline. So um, there are certain areas that have feline pulled out for those that only work in feline clinic. Lots of times it tends to be small animal versus large animal, um, but we do get some that are like canine feline, feline, and then large animal production animal. So. Yeah. It depends and they're forever changing. Even the nutrition one now, we're kind of thinking, well, we're just nutrition in general, but do we need to have canine and or feline and or then equine and or production, right? Yeah. Do we need to have subspecialties in that um, because there are some that are doing one or the other or both. And so, they're all very different. And they are, right? And it's hard to make an exam that encompasses everything because yeah. if 80% is doing small, then you want more of the questions to come from small, but how do you make that a fair thing for those that are working in production, mm -hmm. right? So um, I think as the specialties grow, we see more value in, in, in subspecialties in them. And if, if I, as a technician, want to, or nurse, want to learn more how I can improve my feline skills, where can I go? If I don't want to do the whole specialization thing, what, what are some tips that you could give them? Well, we are so lucky with COVID that there is CE on the internet like crazy, right? It is everywhere. Um, no one can ever say they weren't able to get their CE this year for any reason. No, so, yeah, exactly. So, so I think there is a lot of CE that uh, free CE that people could go on and watch. Um, and we are getting those behavior specialties that are growing. Um, so I think there are lots of proper handling techniques for cats. Um, you know, ways to have a feline only practice. There is certification, right? Where you can be a, a feline specialty clinic, um, be certified with, with how you handle felines. We'll look at what they require, do some of those readings on those. Um, and there's great advice on there of, of how simple things you can do to make your cat patients happier that really, really work. Yeah. Um, so, so they're worth reading and doing and watching. Um, and then you may find, wow, I've when you see that positive reinforcement of change, you're like, oh my gosh, this is great. We should all do this. And then you can start converting your whole clinic over and, um, you know, and grow from there and make some value. I think you're uh, in North America, you're talking about the cat friendly practice program yes, that, the, yeah, that the American Association of Feline Practitioners has. Um, uh, I'm a past president of that group. And uh, I, I've always said it shouldn't have American in the name. It's like, cause it's North American. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you shouldn't let that throw you off because the, especially the cat friendly practice program is a great one. And it's just full of training 
for um, all members of the team. So I'm glad you mentioned that because it's a really rich source of, uh, of education, not yeah, just and I know everybody. I had looked through that uh, myself to look at getting our clinic that before I started doing my specialty, right? When I was trying yeah. to find ways of things to do. Um, and we made one of our rooms, we had made two new exam rooms and we made one a cat only room. Yeah. And it is amazing the difference on how much calmer the cats are in that room compared to our common room. Yeah. It is amazing how much calmer they are. Whereas we put them in the common room and right away, literally backs her up, right? Well, yeah. So. It's amazing all the predators that were in that room before them, right? I think I'd be nervous too. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. So I think there's lots of things that people can get from going on that site um, and reading, just skimming through some of the information that, that you can do simple changes to make a big difference for our little kitty patients. Yeah, you're right. It's very true. So I'm kind of interested, what would, what would the workflow be like? So let's say I've just diagnosed a patient with chronic kidney disease. And as we know, nutrition is a big part of that. So what do, what do you think, or what, what's your advice for what that workflow would look like? So how do I integrate my tech with a nutrition specialty now into that workflow of working with that, that client, right? So if I want the tech to play a big role, how, how do you see that working? You bet. So, so what we do at my clinic is um, the vets let me know if they have a case like that, where they want me to come either talk to the client or get things going. And of course, it depends a lot on the situation. For example, is that uh, kidney kitty sick right now, we might start with a different nutrition plan. But what I'll basically do is um, determine if that's something we can address right now, or do I send them home and we start emailing? Because um, just with COVID, it's hard, you know, we can't sit in a room and have a good discussion and it's winter. So, um, so a lot of times I'll say, okay, I'm going to get you started with this. But I, what I want you to do is go home and send me everything you're feeding from morning till night. Um, and then let's have a discussion about what we want to do. Uh, depending with the kidney, I may say, I'm going to send you home with this food right now and, or this little starter kit. And then we're going to discuss it though, once we're home. And that way, again, it's all in writing for them because now they've already taken in a diagnosis for their pet mm. and they may not hear all the things I'm going to tell them. Plus I want them to have in writing how many kcals, how many cups a day that means, or how much canned a day. I want it all to be in writing. And I find if they sit there or sit in their car and wait for me to type it all up, um, I find it better if I send it. And that way too, I have their email. I can email them back and say, okay, it's been three days checking in. Mm. Um, so I think it makes a good conversation that way. Um, but the vets will literally tell me the file, say, this is, this is a file, Robin. This is what's going on. This I've made my diagnosis. Bye. And they leave. Yeah. And then I will have those conversations put in my notes and the vet can go back and read my notes you know, make sure they agree with everything that's going on, or if they have any questions, they can come to me, but they literally just forget about that portion and move on with their next stop. And so would you set up consultations, follow-up consultations yourself? And these days they, you know, we're doing more virtual stuff. It strikes me that that's a really good opportunity for a virtual or a video consultation. Oh, you bet. I think any clinic um, would be, um, I should say the best idea a clinic could do would be to have a tech um, and have them do virtual mm -hmm. consults like this with our kitty people in particular. They can have that cat come up in front of the camera. I can have a look at it. Um, you know, how are we feeling? How are we eating? You know, get that real interaction, face-to-face -face interaction. Um, and maybe you could have the tech have half a day off one way and then they do some in the evenings if the owners are at work all day so that you could still have an interaction. But it's so important to bond with those clients and still see them, but not stressing the cats out by bringing them in all the time 
and having them come in for a weigh-in or whatever, but just to touch base with them and see how it's going. So yeah, so I then take the responsibility of all the follow-ups um, for nutritional portion. If they wanna do some sort of examination or a blood glucose that they are making them come in for rather than do at home, they do that. But I think anything at home, if you're doing a blood glucose curve at home, have your tech be there to go over with them. How did the curve go? Send us the curve. Um, you know, did we eat appropriately? Check in on all those things and the vet can look at the curve and make a determination of what they wanna do with the insulin. Yeah. But man, to, to get into this virtual world and do these consults that aren't diagnosing, but are just communi communication consults. Oh, use your text. That's, I just think it is so the way to go. Um, and again, we can't make diagnoses here in Alberta. Um, and we have a lot of restrictions with doing virtual um, consults, but this would be a communication consult, not a diagnosis consult. So for follow-up, you're gonna get those rechecks done. We're doing virtual, it's gonna be timed. So there's a fee, we have a credit card on file. It's paid ahead, we get online, we start talking, right? Okay, our 20 minutes is almost up, but do you have any other questions? Great, okay, well, we'll see you next week. Um, you could have a whole tech do that position. And I, I, I love that. And it, it also answers my last question that I had was how we can increase traffic to uh, our clinics, especially mm -hmm. considering cats. And this is the ideal way to do it. I mean, yeah. you're completely right. This whole virtual space, uh, mm -hmm. we were forced into it, but now yeah. we need to use them. And, and so there's no excuse anymore for us to have a relationship with a cat owner. I mean, this yeah. is the ideal way. And then yes, at certain points, the cat will need to come in, but this, this virtual support will really help owners make that decision much easier too. It's the one silver lining I say to the pandemic is it for so many of us, you know, who were considering virtual consultations or like were, but hadn't pulled the trigger. It just forced us into that space. Um, and you know, if it's, and it, if you've done it well, then you realize it's going to stay with you. It's not going to disappear after the pandemic. So there was one silver line. <laughs> yeah. No, it, yeah. This and is that, a great ending of the podcast. So we're yeah, at time. Yeah, yeah. I know, I That's know. Good. There's so many questions left. We need to get you back. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Every time when we have a guest that uh, we're like, Ooh, it's not enough time. No, but I, I, think, I think it's especially true in this case, because I would like to have more conversations about the roles that techs can play um, in, in veterinary practices, and especially in feline practices where so much is communication, right? So much is behavior communication, nutrition communication. Um, yeah, so I, I, I think we, we need to have more of these conversations with, uh, with RBTs. So you, yeah, so don't be surprised to get a, another request from us in the future <laughs> yeah. to come back. It's been great. And it is something that I, I would love for more vets and techs to, yeah. to think about and focus on. Right. So yeah. get that out there. Yeah. We need to, if we talk about it more, maybe we'll help push that along. That's right. Awesome. So I did the last one. Oh, so I have to sum up this time, time for your real. I'm the closer. <laughs> okay. Well, so if you want to see all of our episodes and our amazing guests, go to our website, which is perpodcast.net. You can listen to the episodes directly on the website, um, or you'll also find us uh, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. So whether it's Spotify or it's the Apple podcast app, whatever you use, you'll find us there. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a good review because that helps other people find us. 
Uh, and we want to attract more people to listen to podcasts about uh, feline medicine for sure. And you can find us on social media with uh, the uh, handle at per podcast. So we're, we're very social people for cat people. So thank you very much, Robin. Thanks, Robin. Uh, Thanks for having me, guys. Was it Thanks. Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs, and you can follow her on social media with the handle at Cat Pet Susan. Dr. Yerla Kirpenstein is a diplomat of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at GVE. TSX. This episode is made possible by the generous sponsorship of the Take the Pledge Against Struvites in Pets Facebook page. Did you know there are three easy steps to treat bladder stones in cats with lower urinary tract signs? Step one is to take a radiograph, and if there is a stone present in the bladder, step two is to use the Minnesota Urolith app for iPhone and Android to determine the most likely type of stone. Step three is to treat the cat for at least two to three weeks with an appropriate diet and see if the stone gets smaller. If so, keep feeding that diet until the stone is completely gone on follow-up radiographs. If not, check compliance with the owner and look for alternative treatment options. Join veterinarians worldwide to take the pledge not to remove screwbite stones by surgery anymore. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page at per podcast. 